drink water, uh, don't be racist. Like <laughs> that needs to be a what sticker. Is, that's gonna be the opener of this episode. <laughs> drink water, don't be racist. Don't be racist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Oh my god, I feel like I'm gonna cry. This is so exciting. <laughs> oh my gosh, y'all. I'm so excited. We are so excited to have you. Oh my gosh. This is listen, I I'm a couple episodes behind. It's been a little bit, but I am like Thursdays are days that I just listen and I get, I just work. Like if I don't have meetings in the morning, like I will just listen to this podcast and just get so much stuff done it's like the best thing so. ah. incredible one of our biggest fans oh but uh truly uh, this is uh, uh, wait we should introduce the episode <laughs> oh we wait is this like immediately recording yeah it is recording we started recording right before you showed up oh gosh okay Ely's <laughs> trying to tame the beast we're all good <laughs> all good would you like me to introduce the episode um sure go for it okay well this is episode eight eight is it it's episode eight. Oh god episode eight and we finally have again i don't want to say the other but <laughs> the other leah harris joining us <laughs> yes thank you for having me i have to say i love that the first guest of this podcast was a black woman named Leah Harris. <laughs> it wasn't me, but I loved that. That was, very, very that was a great episode. So we were really hoping to have you guys like back to back because we thought it would be hilarious to be like, and next we have Leah yeah. Harris. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. I love it. Also, I hope it's okay that I'm drinking a glass of wine. Oh, please do. Oh, it is okay. always okay. We frequently drink. Okay. We encourage it, actually. That's well, what I thought. I was like, you, they definitely, like, I remember, like, first episode, Zach was like, I'm already, like, a beer in or whatever. <laughs> like, so I, yeah, I figured wine. Okay. Well, it's funny. I actually, for the last couple episodes, I stopped drinking because it was making me very burpy during the recording. Um, cause mm. I was drinking beer. So I haven't had a drink since I think the episode with my mom, but as you, if you've listened to that one, you know that she was drinking. So please, by all means, drink, yeah. and be merry. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, well, the first thing we do is we usually check in before we dive into the deep stuff. Yes. So Leah, how are you actually we'll end with you because I know you have like an announcement regarding your life that we can put out there oh, publicly now yeah yeah uh, um so Ely how are you doing <laughs> I am well um I actually am feeling really good today because we I'm like really proud of how of like the growth I've been able to experience <laughs> at my job right now like actually like with numbers so I'm pretty happy that today we hit 7,000 followers on Instagram my goal for the end of the year is 10 oh yes so fingers crossed but even if we don't hit 10,000 I'll still be happy because this time last year we had 2,000 so I oh think it's shit awesome. yeah. wait really oh my god yeah it's crazy oh look at you go grow that platform <laughs> sure is literally 
she's like digging on my couch so that's cool we can't see her the mic is blocking her unfortunately. oh sorry well she looks really cute but also i believe annoying. it <laughs> <laughs> um well i guess my brief check-in is uh i Eli, i haven't told you yet because i wanted to save it for the pod which is something we're in the business of doing now and leah has no idea of this Nicholas and I had the boyfriend discussion over the weekend, and it is now an official thing. Me, 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 oh. me, me. Hey. <laughs> wait, Leah, do you want to see what he looks like? I do. I actually do. I was like, wait, I, can I, you were can I ask. get a quick? Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I knew you were going to ask. So I, I was, was, like, was, it was on the tip of my tongue. This oh, that's is, so exciting. This is a picture. I, I met his one of his good friends for brunch on Sunday, and this is the picture she took of us. Oh, cute. Yeah. Yes. Oh my God. I love it. Cute. He's a very, very good man. He lives in DC. A DC boy. Okay. But he's not a dick. Most DC guys are <laughs> fucking crazy. And I don't know. How far are you from DC? Like, is it, it's not that bad, right? It's, well, it's kind of far. Like, if there's no traffic, I can get there in maybe 45 minutes, but I'd say the average is closer to an hour. Yeah. But you know, worth it, I guess. I guess yeah. it's worth it. <laughs> and That's honestly, so the pool here in Baltimore is not that great. And I kind of drained the pool by the end of last year anyway. So <laughs> tag my life in Milwaukee. Anyway. Um <laughs> uh, <laughs> would know. Listen. The dating pool in Milwaukee, not real great. Oh no, it's not good at all. <laughs> Extremely oh. tough interesting time interesting time um okay wait so am i giving a yeah how's your how's your life going like i i haven't heard anything about your life for the last eight months so please go off (laughs) so yeah it's been crazy i mean i've been in texas since august i left milwaukee um august 1st got on a saturday morning flight one way and at the time, honestly, if you would have asked me, I, I thought I would be like, oh, I'll be back in Milwaukee by like September. Like I'll have a job here. I left a lot of my stuff at, um, with Eric and his husband, shout out to the Wakando. That's what we call his <laughs> place of residence. <laughs> we call it Wakando. So like, I left like, you know, like all my cooking stuff and my juicer, like all, all the stuff that I care about in Milwaukee. Cause I was like, I'll just take some of these clothes home. Like, you know, get everything together and I'll be back because surely I'll have a job. And that became um, not, like that just, it quickly became clear to me that like I wasn't probably going to be able to return to Milwaukee in a meaningful capacity for work. And so I just spent, you know, essentially like a year, it was 2020, you know, um, looking for a job and like working. I feel like a week after I found out that I wasn't going to have a job at Milwaukee Rep, I was just like immediately just like, okay, like applying and just going everywhere. Um, but I moved back to Dallas and, um, just was kept applying, kept interviewing. I thought I would end up on the East coast, West coast, back in the Midwest. Like it was kind of like open anywhere. And then, um, in February, end of February, I got the job that I currently have right now with, um, the theater leadership project, which is, um, I guess by the time this episode airs, it'll be out there. But, um, at the time of recording, we are announcing officially tomorrow, um, and, Theater, Theater Leadership Project is a new organization working um, on Broadway. So I work with a group of producers, Broadway producers, um, and basically it's a fellowship program 
that is um, looking to sustain the next generation of Black leadership on Broadway within co commercial producing. So we're doing that by offering three-year fellowships for um, exclusively for Black candidates across uh, general management, company management, and creative producing. So the idea is that at the end of the three years, we're working with those individuals to get them full-time, you know, place jobs. Um, and that is something that's that de definitely needed in on the commercial producing side of Broadway. It's very white, very male. Um, and so TTLP is really looking to transform that through this idea of long-term partnerships, sustained funding, and um, a really meaningful investment. Um, so it's a it's a three-year, it's a three-year, you know, fellowship. And by the end of it, we're hoping that the landscape of leadership looks different. So I'm the program manager for TTLP. Um, and the producers I work with are just considered the founding members. Um, so I'm like the only TTLP employee, but I, I work with all of the producers. And we this has been in the works for a year since June of last year, but obviously I didn't get pulled into it until officially until March, but I had started interviewing at the beginning of this year, really. And um, I, yeah, I feel so thankful that this is the job that I have right now. And I feel thankful that it's a job even just within within theater and within the creative arts, because I think for so long in this like bleak year that was 2020, I did not think I would be in a creative position again, like full time. Like I just didn't think that I would be working creatively. And so I was like back here in Texas, just being like, okay, what's next? Like, what do I do? Like, do I want to get into the classroom? Do I want to, you know, I was really trying to just figure out life and it was crazy. And so the fact that like literally almost a year to the day that I found out I was losing my job, that I'm announcing this new job and that it's something that I feel just just really ultimately really grateful to be contributing to, um, especially right now in this current moment is crazy. And I just, again, and like I'm fully vaccinated. So like just the difference a year makes is insane. Like I'm two weeks post second Pfizer shot and I'm I'm ready to mingle, you know? <laughs> Work, that's amazing. I love mm -hmm. that. Well, congratulations. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Thanks. Thank you. I'm excited. Honestly, I'm, I mean, y'all know, cause we were texting about it when we we're figuring out how to, but like, yeah, I'm, I'm happy that it'll be out in the public tomorrow and, you know, I'll post about it and there's some pretty cool stuff in the announcement. So yeah, I'm excited. Are you staying in Dallas? Like, is it remote? Yeah. So basically it'll be remote for this kind of first year. Um, and then probably around this time next year, I'll be looking at what a move to NYC could look like. Oh, you'd be mm -hmm. close to me, kind of. Like I know, <laughs> I know. Well, and, and my younger sister's actually moving to Philly for PA school in a month. So I'll also be oh. close to her, which is cool. So, yeah. Wow. Amazing. Well, I'm yeah. so glad you're in a good place. <laughs> yeah. Because we really went through that unemployment ride together. We did, we did. I mean... It just well, if you just think about like just a year ago, like what we didn't know. <laughs> oh my gosh. And like I keep getting Snapchat memories of just like right. stuff or like Facebook memories and being like, yes. oh God. <laughs> it's so, it's so crazy. A year ago today, because when the pandemic first hit, I immediately came to Dallas. I remember like there was an email at Milwaukee Rep that was like, okay, we're going remote, like whatever. And I was like, cool, I'm going to go to Dallas because like, I don't know what's going on. And so I was in Dallas for six weeks. And so a year ago today, I like posted on my Instagram, like last night in Dallas, it was quarantine, like headed back to Milwaukee, like ready to like do Milwaukee quarantine, whatever. Oh, and then no. a week later, it was like, what? <laughs> 
So, yeah. And like, we really thought it was going to just be like two weeks, like, Oh yeah. Just- yeah. One of our old coworkers posted on her snap story, like goodbye desk. Like I'll see you in two weeks. And <laughs> that ended up being someone that we also got laid off with. And so oh, wow. <laughs> she posted it again on like one year later. And I was like, why is this so sad? <laughs> It's so, but it's also like funny because it's like, we had no idea. Like I literally bought a plane ticket to Dallas because it was like, my mom was like, the ticket's a hundred dollars, just get here. Like, I don't want you, you know? And so I was like, okay. So yeah, no idea. And it's, it's, it's crazy. It is crazy. But yeah, very, very happy with, you know, in terms of employment, just how it all ended because got scared there for a minute, y'all, you know? (laughs) we're all in a better place since that shit show um it's crazy yeah what an amazing roller coaster it's it's that yeah it's been a roller coaster it's been crazy yes well should we dive into the topic for this week yeah um so for our listeners we've made reference in the past to an upcoming systemic racism episode. And I guess for now, this will kind of be that. We were gonna do an episode purely on white American theater, but then when we started contributing to our outline, we realized that maybe we should open it up a little bit. So I think we're gonna call it exhausted by institutional racism, but we'll see how the conversation shakes out. And I will be taking a little bit of a back seat the today but um yes I'm still excited nonetheless (laughs) are you taking a back seat because you are a white 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 male male. yes I did have I did add one thing to the outline just because it was current events like yesterday when we got the census information in yes um but we we can get to that later so yeah yeah that's I mean yeah that's also like a yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, oh. And I, I had lunch with my coworker Gabby today and I told her we were recording this episode and see, she suggested that we do a content warning for those who might not want to relive these conversations that have been happening a lot in the past year. So I don't know right. if you got, that guys think that's a good idea or not. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, think always, yeah, always. I think I have such an interesting relationship with like content and trigger warnings, especially when it comes to like you know, like working in theater and stuff like that. I feel like sometimes my own like personal, like we don't got to censor this, this is art, this is important. But then like, I also recognize that I've worked and produced art with inside a white institution, like at Milwaukee Rep and Dallas Theater Center, you know? And so, um, but yeah, I have such like an interesting relationship with like content warnings and trigger warnings. But yes, I do think it's important to say that like, you know, we're gonna talk about racism and and whiteness and white supremacy and anti-blackness and anti-black policing and all those things. I mean, those are things that I, you know, talk about. And my, I, I, I feel, I feel it's important for me to talk about those things and, and um, use those words and be specific in with my language. So I guess that's, maybe that's the trigger warning <laughs> that that's, that that's, this conversation may contain a combination of any and all of those things. So if that's, something that might be heavy or sensitive for you if you are a listener right now, which is understandable given, you know, the life that we live in the world we're in right now. Um, yeah, maybe catch him on the next one. That was a very adequate content <laughs> warning. Thanks, Leah. Was that good? Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, I thought one of us was going to do it. You just- Well, I kind of was like, you. I don't know. Well, I didn't know if you were like asking me like, 
<laughs> contribute to what the like yeah so I was like well here you are thank you yeah if you need me for any of your other things <laughs> let me know <laughs> let me know just record intros for all of our podcasts from yes. here on out <laughs> yes I will oh I'd live for that um okay well you know wherever you guys want to start have at it good luck well, Leah, as our guest, um, what do you feel comfortable starting with? What's What's been on your mind? Um, oh, gosh. I mean, you know, a lot of things are happening right now. Like, a lot of things are happening right now. And I feel like over the last year, too, I've been like, especially just with the pandemic, it was like, oh, is the, I'm, I'm living history right now. Like, this is going to be a moment in like 10, 15, 20, 30 years that I'm like, I survived 2020 I survived that pandemic I survived you know whatever so I but yeah so a lot of things are happening right now and I feel like and I think I mean I, I think I put some of that one but like I feel like um I'm trying to like do myself a favor in the sense of like really thinking about where I want to put my energy when it comes to all of this stuff when it comes to talking about racism when it comes to showing up in these conversations um, because I think what I've, what I've learned about myself and what I saw in 2020 and even leading up to that is just, is just how quickly I, I get burned out and how quickly I think other black women and other women of color get burned out and maybe aren't, and, and are, aren't, aren't so quick to, to call that out within themselves. <clears throat> like, I think, um, I, I even just think about my time just in Milwaukee in general, like even just outside of like being in the rep and just like, you know just not not being vocal enough with myself and honest enough with myself saying like, I'm burned out. These conversations are draining me. This is no longer serving me. I'm no longer able to show up in the way that I want to show up. Like I should pull away from some of these conversations. Um, and I guess a lot of that is fair to say that happened at, at work, but um, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's I, I leave work and I'm still a black woman having to live in this world. So it's, um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a constant, it's a constant thing that I'm, I'm thinking about of just like where I want to engage, where I want to put my energy, how I want to show up in my activism. Because I think also like what I'm seeing, <clears throat> especially with social media is that like so many people have so many different ways of showing up in terms of activism and showing up in terms of like solidarity, right? And it's like social media amplifies all of that. And I think definitely for me like last year there were times where I was super vocal on social media about certain things and I was super like contributing to that narrative and sharing the articles and like going hard on like so many different things um and then again like getting burned out of that and then like realizing that like I need to pull back and I need to really just think strategically and honestly about like where it is that I want to put my energy as a black woman that does care about all these issues and that does you know want to um want to make sure we're having like healthy conversations around these issues and things like that. But at the same time, like they're, they are, they are, they're, they're draining conversations. They're hard conversations and they're, they're, um, they're just places that I need to, you know, like pump the brakes and just be honest about that. So. Yeah. I never even realized that like I could pump the brakes and right. not be in those conversations. Like for a while, it was like, I thought that was the purpose that I served because like those are the situations I was put in. I've always worked for predominantly white organizations. I've always been surrounded by whiteness and I've always just been there to be almost like a servant. <laughs> mm -hmm. I hate to say that, but it's like, 
Yeah. Yes. Like that's just how my life has been. So the fact that I'm like now in an environment that's predominantly like people that look like me and like we practice constantly, like just taking a step back and not having to participate in that. It's so refreshing to be incorporating that into my everyday life, but also like it was definitely difficult to learn and to like, well, to unlearn and to like teach myself to just like, you Mm -hmm. don't have to respond to every comment. You don't have, like, I've honestly just been practicing not reading comments on anything racially motivated on Facebook, on TikTok. Like I just can't anymore. Like I I really can't. It's just been, it's becoming standard practice to just stop participating unless I have the energy to. Right. No, absolutely. Yeah. You have to, I mean, it's like just, just, just like the boundaries and stuff like that. Cause also like, you know, and I think what's also draining for me, and I think I put this in the, like in the outline, it's like, I feel like I'm seeing a lot online in terms of like, you know, mobilizing and organizing and stuff like that. Like, again, feeling like black women are not um, given the, just the, the respect and the humanity that they deserve for doing the work that they're, that they're doing on the front lines and, um, you know, marching in the streets and creating the petitions and, and organizing the funds and all of that stuff. And like, also all of that stuff is important and knowledge happens outside of a George Floyd moment or a Mackay Bryant moment, or like this kind of like work is just, I feel like so ingrained in how particularly like black communities, that's the community I know, um, operate. So, yeah, so I also just like noticed just a lot of like um, just hate and just like evilness towards black women and the organizing efforts online. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm, I'm not here. I'm not here to see that. Like, I'm not about to like drag or like participate in that. And like, that's, and that's also, I think why I also like pulled back on just like posting certain things and things like that. And like, you know, just like also feeling like I'm monitoring like how people are showing up or how people are like crafting the statement. It's just like, no, because it's like also like at the end of the day, like racism and anti-blackness and like you know agents of the state are killing us right so it's like I don't care necessarily about how you how well you can craft a statement or how quickly you can post the link or how quickly like it's just like really like pulling out it's just like we are we are literally being shot in the streets and y'all are still having reading groups about white fragility and like I just like that that um that that gap of just like understanding is just like where I have had to like separate um because like, yeah, black, black people are, are dying and y'all are reading. So we gotta, we gotta move differently here. Yeah. Well, actually I'd like to ask you then what, what kind of things would you like to see? What different ways do you think society needs to move to just go beyond understanding white fragility? Cause I think at this point we all know that white people are fragile and as fuck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think like, you know, it's, it's like, it's, and that's the thing, it's like, it's all systemic, it's all, it's all systems, it's all systems that were not built by people that look like me, that were not meant to support people that look like me, that were literally meant to harm and kill and, and, and cause violence upon people like me, so it's just like, it's hard because I, I toe this line of like, really working to imagine a world, to like, answer your question, to imagine a world, like, without police, or imagine a world, you know, where, you know, healthcare is just, free, right? And like, imagine a world where, um, you know, there are thriving communities and like all these things. But it's also like, I get, I get so, I get so um, stuck by that, because I'm just like, you know, we're still, all of our systems in America are capitalist, are ableist, or, you know, and so it's just like, it's, I'm still, I think in my personal journey, like, I'm still trying to figure out how, like, I can 
as a black woman, like imagine the world, imagine a utopia, imagine all these things that um, really has a liberated people. Um, because I think if black people are liberated, all people will be, will be eventually liberated. So it's like imagining that world while also recognizing like where we are right now in April of 2021, right? Like after coming off of a year, like we just had of, you know, 2020, where it's just like so many, like truly just like awful, what the fuck moments. Um, but also a lot, like a lot of, a lot of what the fuck moments, but also just like a lot of like this, this is America and this is how America has been, right? Um, so like, I don't even really know if I can fully like, fully answer that question. I think that like, I think that there's a lot of healing that needs to happen within black communities. I think that that work is sacred and that work is important. And I think like, for me, like that's also just work that I'm really interested in within myself, like how I'm, how I'm unlearning and how I'm healing and how I'm making sure that I'm whole and full, because I do believe that if I am, I can contribute to a world outside of these systems and outside of these, you know, systems. Yeah. Um, I don't think we know how to like collectively move together while also building different strategies within that. Like, you know, like I think we get so stuck on certain things that stifle our growth and stifle our learning and stifle our understanding of one's humanity. Cause I think we're still like recycling these just like really old narratives and old ideologies and old just old thinking that it's not allowing us to build and move forward and not just have like one singular way of doing it right like learning and understanding that like we can have multiple multiple things can be true multiple movements towards a liberation can live and coexist and be true I think we got to stop being so narrow I think we got to stop being so singular in our thinking and so binary um, that's something that I'm also still working on, right? Like I, the amount of times that I continue to think in binaries is like just really scary to me at this point because I'm just like, why? Like why? Why is this so? It's so ingrained. It's so ingrained. So just breaking out of that, and not even I'm not even really talking. Gen- I'm just binaries in general, right? Like yeah. just breaking out of just this, these toxic binaries. Um, so it's still work and things that I'm learning as well. But I just think you know we're still so narrow and singular in our thinking and in our understanding of one another and how we progress and how we degress and like all these things and so we just got to get better at that well and I like the note that you put in here that like a lot of the organizing that people have been doing especially in the last year is also still a little bit harmful because sometimes it really does come from our own people and Mm -hmm. it's difficult because it's like you want to have that balance between being able to encourage your fellow like black and brown folks to unlearn what our white supremacist society has taught us that is harmful towards other marginalized communities. But at the same time, we can still harm each other by constantly Mm -hmm. holding ourselves to this extremely high standard when in reality, we're all kind of like baby organizers. We're like still learning and trying to figure out what this means and what this looks like. And it's definitely not easy, but because the times that we are in now just call for radical change, yeah. like we expect this level of perfection amongst all of us and mm-hmm. that's harmful as well. So it's just like right. a balance between checking ourselves, but also not creating a uh, ridiculous standard that is impossible to reach. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think like saying like we're baby organizers, it's like, I think our survival depends on it. Like truly, like I think like 
I think our our I think we are living in a world now where our survival depends on the ways that we can capitalism and 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 all of these things at the center of it. It's like th like that's even within that BIPOC organizing. It's like are we organizing? within, we're still organizing within white structures. We're still organizing within the structures that harm us. And so when one of us slip up or when, or when something happens and we're not, you know, all in one accord, that's whiteness showing up because we're still organizing within those systems. And again, I think it goes back to what I'm saying is like, we got to think, we got to really, really start pushing ourselves to think outside of that and like, and, and think, and think outside of, you know, appeasing white people or, or looking palatable to white people. Um, because again, like, I just think we're beyond that. Like, again, agents of the state are killing us in the streets and for the most part getting away with it. Yeah. I 100% agree. Zach, do you have any questions you want to ask? Yeah, I feel Zach, bad. You're just like, like sitting there. You're allowed to talk. <laughs> <laughs> you may uh, speak. No, I know, but I, <laughs> I did have one that like popped into my head like five minutes ago. Let me try and like form that into a coherent, um, thought I, I guess I was one thing that I I wonder about a lot just from my point of view and I perceive it as a form of white guilt you can correct me if I'm wrong on this but this idea that like white people we have the the benefit of retreating into a sense of comfort even if we are like I guess what you might call like the best allies on the planet. We still have that privilege of retreating and being like, okay, this isn't my life and, and I can feel comfortable. And then when you, when you reflect on that, like I do sometimes there's a guilt that comes with it, but it's almost like, it's not even my guilt to experience. Um, well, I mean, it is, but it, you know, like for instance, um, I don't know, in the, in the wake of the last year doing something like, going out to a protest or, or contributing to a bail fund or something like which myself and a lot of other white allies have done, there's still the benefit of going home and being like, you know, huh, I did my part for the day. Like I'm an, I'm a good ally. Whereas I'm assuming going home period, right? Like making yes. it home and being yes. safe in your home. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah, absolutely. So I guess if, if that were to take the form of a question, I mean, I, I guess at the end of the day, like we're never, I, we're not going to be the people that are constantly fearing for our lives or feel at unease when we're pulled over at a traffic stop or when we walk into a luxury store, like that's never going to be our lives. But how, how would you say we could alleviate that guilt that comes with, with allyship um, while kind of acknowledging that the privilege that comes along with feeling comfortable and that's just something i thought about a lot like the level of comfort that we can experience just by being white people i i think you know your your skin experience by having white skin there's there's always just going to be built in comfort to that and the closer you are to having white skin there's always going to be built in comfort to that so like again like you said like going to a protest and like making it home like that's privilege that's comfort you know like that's that's not afforded to all of us. And I think, I don't know who, I don't know, I, I don't know who said it. Like, I don't know where this was quoted from, but it's like, basically like white people should always feel uncomfortable. Um, yes. White people, as long as racism is alive, white people should always be uncomfortable and should always be, you know, unpacking like what to do with that 
guilt with that uncomfort and with that because I I guess I just to me I'm just like we live in a world where again your whiteness and your proximity to whiteness there's just built-in safety there right and like so the, in terms of just like and again that does not mean that white people are not you know don't don't have struggles that does not mean that like you know but that does mean that again the likelihood of you being able to make it home to a protest versus me right like in terms of safety um looks different and so I don't really even know if that answers the question, but I just feel like it's important to like acknowledge that like, like our, like my, like our work is going to look different, right? Like, like the work for white people is to really uproot these systems, right? And to really dig in and like figure out like, why, why, why is this comfort something that I can just rest in? Like, what should I be doing with this? How can I, how can I make sure that I'm always staying on top of what it you know what it is to like unpack and unlearn what this white skin what this white privilege gives me um and my work looks different like my work is how do i how do i sustain how do i stay healthy how do i stay alive how do i stay safe like you know all of those things and so yeah i don't know does that answer your question i feel like maybe it does. well i feel like i didn't even really pose like a question it was it was it was a thought that a was thought. swirling yeah. around my head um i i guess uh, another thought that's been swirling around my head is this idea of the uh you could call them the typical white progressive like young mm -hmm. white progressive and uh Ely's actually been helping me out with these sorts of things when, when you know you have white progressives that uh I, I guess you could perceive it as a sort of shallow indictment of racism mm -hmm. um and you know they may even show up for protests or two uh they'll post on social media but the the lack of sort of meaningful engagement with um that whiteness I see a lot and it's uncomfortable I think part of the reason why it's uncomfortable is because I've had to face how I have done the exact same thing um right. the th and the thing I'm thinking of actually is I I guess rather benign in the grand scheme of things but um like I was going to post a TikTok last week <laughs> that um, I'm glad I ran by Ely first because she gave me the whole rundown about how it's basically like a trend that's being taken over by white people that started with black creators, which apparently has been happening a lot. Um, and now every time that I see that on my page, I'm just like, because, uh, you know, like, I don't want this to sound altruistic, but like, you know, I sought education, so to speak, on this on this minor issue. And it's it's just like a lot of white progressives don't seem to seek any resources or education and just kind of begin and end at racism bad you know yes. yeah there's definitely there's there's a lack of nuance there and it's also just like you know in terms of like tiktok and culture and trends it's just like I, I don't think we also like talk about like just how much like how much this gets taken from black creatives like oh my god just, let's just, talk about Addison Ray being on the tonight show doing dances 90% right. created by black people and it's just right. like and then people I are praising Jimmy Fallon for inviting the actual creators via video chat like on the right. show and it was like why are we praising something that why he didn't do this? he should have done this in the first until. place Right. I didn't see that until like the, 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 the apology moment. Like I, cause I saw that like, they were like being featured. It was like, Oh, look at these black and brown kids on Jimmy Fallon. That's how I saw it. I think like HuffPost black voices like posted it, which is why I like saw yeah. it or whatever. And so then I like did my research and I was just like, yeah, like all these like white TikTokers and influencers 
are like stealing from black people, like just taking from black people and it's profiting and making so much money. Yes. It's cringy too, because it's like black people. I mean, we do the most, we put our heart and our soul into this type of stuff. And these white folk are creating it, doing the bare minimum. Like if you see side by side between like the actual creators of the dances and then Addison Rae doing her little like, uh, thing on the tonight show. And then like the fact that she's the one that's getting rewarded for these things. And then when people are like, Oh my God, how do you feel about like people saying that this is fucked up? She's like, Oh, I don't really think it's that big of a deal. Blah, blah. Like they don't even see it. They don't see that they're mediocre and that their mediocrity is being rewarded. Right. By whiteness. I mean, whiteness allows that, right? Like Jimmy Fallon and his white show with his white show, like, like, right. Like all these white people were like, let's get this pretty, like, you know, blonde, whatever girl from the South. I think she's like from Texas. She's like from the South, from Louisiana, wherever from the South. She's like different, like, you know, and she like has this like, you know, beaming person. Let's get her and let's get her on the show and let's have her do all these like, you know, dances, trends, whatever that black people created in quarantine. Like, it's just like, this is like what we were doing for a year because we didn't have anything else to do. And now that we are in a position where that some of that can be even more public, right? It's like the profit goes to white people. And like, that's, that's, that's racism. That's systemic. That is like, you know, and again, it's, it's, um, it just, it points to just like the lack of regard that people have that like the lack of regard that people have for like black life and like just, and, and black creativity um, and, um, and just blackness in general, it's just like the lack of regard and it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's gross. It's gross to see. And white creators, white creatives always seem to get a sort of benefit of the doubt that a lot of black creatives don't. And I actually, Mm -hmm. (laughs) this calls to mind the Oscar ceremony that we just had a couple days ago. Um, you know, it's like this idea where Frances McDormand won her third best actress Oscar and people are quick to say like, oh, but she was great, but she was great. It's like, no shit. She was great. She was nominated for a fucking Academy Award. And the fact of the matter is, is it's like, what does, what did Viola Davis have to do to become only the second black best actress winner in 93 years? Like, what does she have to do? Like, you know, she could have easily won that award, but instead it went to a white woman for the third time or like uh, like I hate to say it but Chadwick Boseman died and will never have a chance to win an Oscar and even Mm -hmm. under that circumstance he still didn't get it he still didn't vote for him right well and I like I honestly this was like I just I I was not good about like Oscar movies or anything like I really when I say I only saw the black things, I really only saw my Ma Rainey on Netflix. <laughs> like I, I really, I still haven't seen One Night in Miami. I still have not seen Judas and the Black Messiah. Like it's just, I, I just haven't. It, I feel like I've just been so detached from like movies in general. But like Ma Rainey, you know, I just obviously like you know, August Wilson, Black, whatever, all of that. Like I obviously wanted to see, and like I, I was so moved by Chadwick's performance in that. I was so like stunned by. And I think again, like, because I saw it after he had passed and after I knew how he, like, you know, like that he was going through cancer and all these things. And like, to know that, that he was fighting all of that and still gave that kind of a performance and that I'm still was just like, I like, when I woke up on Monday, I was like, wait, how, how didn't he win? Like, cause it just felt so, you know, but also like I am naming that I did not see any other performance, but um, because like, didn't they like 
switch the awards around like kind of like snubbed yeah how I, they announced it or something yeah. yeah I was gonna say that too it felt it kind of stunk as because despite all of their best quote-unquote diversity efforts the academy is still a predominantly white institution and the fact that they they switched you know best picture and i'm coming at this from like a film traditionalist so to speak yeah but the best picture is always last it is always last and i was shocked when it was not last and they were doing best actress and and then best actor last and with all these reports that have been coming out since the show aired it seems very clear that the producers um, gambled on the fact that Bozeman would win and therefore the show would close out on this note of sentimentality. You know, they they ended the in memoriam segment with him. Um, and apparently this is kind of gross, but they put like busts of his head into the nominee gift bags or something like that, like his likeness, like a gold. I don't know if it was like a piece of digital art, but it used his likeness. And so all of this is culminating into this kind of generally icky feeling, especially um, in the wake of him not winning that like, like this predominantly white institution was not only profiting off of a death, they're profiting off of this like very storied black actor. And it just, it's been striking yeah. a very sour note, honestly. Yeah. Well, I also saw that this year's Oscars, like in terms of like views, like was just not, not the same. Like the numbers were- the worse in history. Like, yeah. Oh, is it? Oh, yeah. I, I, yeah. I saw just where they compared it to, I guess, like last year's or whatever, but- I also think, I also think for myself too, the past couple of years with the Academy Awards and just like in awards in general, like I just, I always am just like, you know, if the shows, if the shows, music, movies, whatever, get nominated that, that deserve to get nominated, like that feels like enough because like so often I just feel like it's just never going to go to the person that, you know, I feel like deserves it, but that's just me. So I've just always just defaulted to like, you know, the Academy is white institution, you know, the, the, uh, the recording Academy is white, like all these award, these are all white, white institutions that make a lot of money, um, and give a lot of white people a lot of awards. <laughs> like, that's just my feeling about it. Yeah. And as far as like production value, my dad and I were watching together and he pointed out the fact that they made like a ridiculous, a ridiculously like obnoxious effort to have like black people placed in view of the camera at all times like even during like the red carpet which isn't like associated completely with like the actual award show but like there were black people in the background there were black people hosting and it's just like somebody said it a long time ago but like they're acting like white people just started exist, or they're acting like black people just started existing. Like, hello, we've been here. Right. We've been here. Okay. <laughs> like, you could have been putting us in the background, which like, right. Okay. Right. It's, it's just like, for us, it's laughable because we know yeah. it's performance. We know it's fake. Like, right. Right. It's, I mean, it's, it's just so, it's just so easy to see. I think that's another thing too. It's like the, yeah, it's, it's, it becomes so transparent. It becomes so, so transparent. No, well, I agree. Like it, it just reminds me of another um, arts related institution we all know pretty well, where it's like <laughs> the it's the optics tend to be just very like surface level, you know, like Ely said in regards to the Oscars, it's just like, okay, putting black people in the frame doesn't really do much. And meanwhile, you have like two white people accepting the Oscar for Soul, which is a film about a black jazz musician. Right. Like, how does this happen? You know? <laughs> Now, granted, John Batiste won later for best original score, but like, uh, it's just stuff like that, or it's just, you know, op optics can only take you so far. White yeah, and optics, optics are also like whiteness, right? Like the, like the signaling, like all that is also whiteness, because I feel like that is like what 
what white people are like, this is, this is what, this will, this is what will look good. This is what will look like we are living out our mission statement. This is what will look like, you know, we are um, inclusive. This is what will look like the things that we say that we are, but it just, it stops there. Like, like I think you said, like there is no deep engagement as to like, even just questioning like, well, what should this look like white people, right? Like what should this, you know, MLK poster like, or whatever it is that's involving black or brown people like well what should well what should this look like you know and and there's just no deep engagement beyond it it really is just like white people saying that like this is what is is what is going to make us feel good and so what's going to make us be able to like send the email or go home at night or like go to the board meeting and present it or whatever it is it, it stops there um and it's important to know that it stops there as you continue to engage with certain institutions so yeah but also like I can imagine it's a good idea to consult black people. Like, you know, Ely and I were talking about in our second episode, when we were talking about media representation and I was going off about Malcolm mm -hmm. and Marie, it's like, consult a black person if you're going to write a script like that, or even like, okay, the Oscars again, like the three producers of uh, last weekend's show were all white people. Like, would it kill you to bring in a black producer? Like, it's just. Right. And then that, then that just continues to play into the narrative of like, well, they don't exist and they don't, you know, they're not a lot like, right. And so it's just like, even like, and even in like the work that I'm doing right now, like it's, you know, it's, I'm constantly having to remind myself that like, this is such a different kind of offering and it's, and it's, and it's scope and that it's specific that, you know, the first three years of this program is going to focus on black individuals. Um, because we believe that by focusing on black people and creating programs around black people, we will be able to make space for full BIPOC leadership representation. But like also just having, even within myself, having to combat the narrative within the arts and theater and, and on Broadway that like there aren't any black creative producers or there aren't any black GMs or there aren't any black, you know, it's just like they're out there. There are people out there. What we have to talk about are the systems that you all have put into place that have historically and systemically excluded black people from getting those opportunities. So you know, I think what TTLP is trying to do is what we're trying to do is like combat those um, those exclusionary practices, right? And like make sure that these individuals have what they need to sustain, you know, three years in New York, you know, working on Broadway. And so um, I've been thinking a lot about like, just in regards to that, just like care, right? Like just care and just like um, making sure that like this is something that like at the end of three years, no one feels like I'm completely burned out. I don't even want to continue working. Like that this is something that that they can sustain in. In general, like I'm also just like really keen on making sure that like the work that I'm doing in any space is like that there's always like built-in care for black people and for black individuals in any kind of work that we're doing. Cause I think I recognize whether it's in like an organizing space or like a, a official workspace or anything, there's always labor that is like, you know somehow you know through osmosis that gets put on on black people um and and well through whiteness right like through whiteness there's just labor that gets put on black people so just like always making sure that like whatever i'm doing and whatever i have my hands on like making sure there's like care built in for that is is super important well what you said takes me back to um to uh that training we had with carmen when edi was still a thing at the rep and it's something i think about a lot when she was talking about how uh white folk need to speak of they need to alleviate some of that labor off of their black peers which struck me and and obviously i'm sure that not everyone would agree but it struck me because i always thought and still continue to think clearly from what i said at the beginning of this podcast that it is white allies job to give the space to our black peers but i guess carmen 
I don't know. I still don't fully understand it, but I do think about it a lot. <laughs> if that makes like sense. Like in terms of like when to give space and like when to like step up and take yeah. space. And I think, yeah. And I think that's a, that's a bed of hot coals that a lot of white allies walk on um, who are at least aware enough to, to be like, okay, I'm not going to speak over people. I'm not going to step on toes. Um, but when I think about what, what Carmen said in terms of like doing the work, like not expecting black folk to always do the work because it leads to this sort of burnout that you've been talking about a couple of times throughout the pod. Right. Well, and I think it's like, it's easy. I, I, again, like, I, I don't know. I'm not, a, I, I haven't lived. A, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not a white person, but I, I would imagine it's easy to like step back on the line of like, well, I want to give space, like, right. Like I want to give space, create space. I think a lot of white people are doing that right now. And I think that that's some of that is, important um but I you know I think there also is like a level of work and understanding of like when black people black women black trans women you know whatever are are being harmed and are being asked to do additional labor or are being you know questioned or are really just like I mean just the amount of gaslighting that comes our way or at least comes my way you know in, in certain spaces it's like, that's, that's, I feel like that's also the work that white people need to do of like knowing, knowing when to like speak up, right. And like take up space um, and, 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 and speak truth to power. But also too, like I do, I mean, I, I, I think I understand what you're saying in terms of like knowing when, what, knowing when to like pull what card, like, is this the moment that I say like, Hey, stop. Or is this the moment that I'm like, again, like that navigation is like on my end is so like, I'm always in a space where I'm having to like, like that, that kind of deference is never given to me. And like my, my navigating of those spaces are always so different because I'm having to navigate, like, am I being talked to like this? Because, because I'm black, because I'm a woman, because I'm young, because I'm, I'm in this current space with all these older white people, you know, in, in relation like to like jobs and stuff like that. Um, you know, because I talk a certain way or because I'm from a certain place, whatever that is, it's like, that's what I'm constantly having to navigate around. And so I guess it'll always look different depending on on the space. Like I I don't necessarily know if there's ever been a moment in my I'll just say like professional career where I've needed a white man to like buffer for me or to like interfere for me. Like I don't I can't really think of a moment where I'm like oh man I wish that white man would have like stepped in and like done that because I feel like in certain moments I'm able to hold my own and I'm able to kind of know when. I, I, I'm just, I, I feel like I'm just, I'm, again, I'm able to navigate whiteness in those spaces in a little, in a different way. Sometimes there's even more harm done if, certain, if, if white people try and like, you know, interject and, you know, like white saviorism is a real thing that I think is also probably what you're talking about in terms of like, I just don't want to be like the white savior or whatever. Yeah. Well, the, another thing that came up a lot at the rep in particular, especially in those EDI spaces, this is something that I also see a lot of white people engaging in is this like this competition of oppression where they have to bring up their like, oh, I get it because I am gay or I get it because blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yo, that's not the point. <laughs> it's very crazy. That happens with brown people a lot too. We've like had to work through this at my job all the time like just understanding mm. how we've all been oppressed by the same systems but now that's causing us to kind of like like we always say like our trauma is like bumping together because like even brown people do play oppression olympics with black people and i've also experienced this a lot like in being a mixed person where like half of my family is 
Latinx and then the other half of my family is black and just like trying to combine the experiences. It's always one side being like, oh, well, we, what about this? Or, oh, well, we experienced this, this, and this. And it's like, okay, when did I ever say you didn't? Or like, okay, how does that make the black experience any less legitimate? It's just like constant right. oppression Olympics. And that's comes from whiteness again. Comes from whiteness and it does cause, is that your dog? <laughs> yes, she's, <laughs> she, she ran out of water in her bowl. So now she's just being obnoxious oh. until I give her some. So <laughs> well, no, I, I agree. And I think also too, like that idea of like oppression Olympics within BIPOC spaces also just cause, continues to cause like lateral harm, you know, when we continue to be like, well, I'm this and I'm this, and that, you know, it's just like, you know, we're all being impacted by whiteness and even this 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 argument and this you know one upping is is whiteness getting in the way of our, our of our work. Well, um, I think a large part of this conversation that we should pivot to before we conclude with the episode is the way that racism institutionally plays into the state. And you know, Ely, I forget what episode this is, but when you were brought up the fact that like if if our government truly cared about ending racism, like there would be a budget or some task force put on it and there just isn't. Right. It's clearly not a priority. They can say all they want, how it's like, oh, you know, whatever. We want end racism, whatever. But it's like, y'all have a space force before you had a ending racism task force. Let's just let that sink in. <laughs> what? Are, we, are you talking about like Wisconsin government specifically? Well, I mean, just like the government in general, like why is there no committees really? There's no direct task force to handle and dismantle white supremacy, white white supremacist like ideas, white supremacists in our society. Like, why is this not priority? If we were able to get on, like my boss used to tell you, if they would put the energy that they put into like getting men on the moon (laughs) to like ending racism, Mm-hmm. we would be living in a different society. No, I mean, I think, yeah, I, I well, and that's why, like, I think the, the census conversation, Zach, that you had brought up also, like, the census and, like, all of that, like, once we're at another, you know, big election, like, that's going to really start to come into play in terms of, like, how we get to where we want to go after this, after this, this, this first four years. Um, so, I mean, and also just, like, electoral college, I have many thoughts, but yeah, yeah. For for those listeners who don't know, on on uh, Monday, April twenty sixth, uh, some results of the twenty twenty census were released, which impacted um, electoral seats for thirteen states. Uh, some states lost an electoral vote, and a majority of them were traditionally blue states and a couple of swing states. And a couple of states gained an electoral vote. Texas gained two, which is obviously a traditional red state. Florida gained mm-hmm. one, Montana, North Carolina. So it, it, that whole debacle calls attention to the Electoral College, which calls attention to voter suppression, which is um, continues to be a problem. Like I, I, I'm kind of surprised how little discourse there is around the um, when Section 4 of the Voting Rights Act was repealed in 2013 it's been almost it's been eight years since that's happened Mm -hmm. and that's just kind of opened the floodgates for pretty transparent voter suppression on behalf of red states and republican congress people um 
I forget who said it, but someone said very simply, like, it's because they know that they would not win if BIPOC people had equal and uh, as equal and fair access to vote as white people do. And the Electoral College certainly plays into that. It 100% plays into that. And I know that there's been a lot of talk about abolishment of the Electoral College. I personally don't think there's any hope of that happening in my lifetime. No. But uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a huge problem. And of course, um, Stacey Abrams is a Nobel Peace Prize nominee for a reason, doing God's right. work. Well, and that's why I'm like, I'm like the, the conversation around voting is like, so, I mean, cause I do like, again, like, I think it's important to like acknowledge and like name just the, the work that Stacey Ambrose and a lot of black organizers did in Georgia this past, I guess, January. Yeah. January. Um, and, and just in terms of like Stacey Abrams and just the way that she has just the education that she has given on voting and on voting rights and how she's made it so accessible because I also think that like, you know, there is like, I just, I think about like my younger sister who is 22. And so like, and just like the last couple of years, like her voting, like in like Texas elections and then her voting for this past year and stuff like that. And just like, where are you getting this, this education about voting? And like, where, like, where, like, where does that come from for you? You know? Right. And it's just like, very much just like, oh, well, I just, you know, I get something in the mail or like, you know, mom tells me to like make sure I register to vote and stuff like that. And I'm just like, right. Like, it's not, it's, it's um, as, as, as important and as much as an emphasis this country puts on voting, it's not something that is really part of our educational system. And it's not really something that I feel like we are, that we have, like, I guess, access to in, in, in a certain way. Um, for me, like, I just kind of had to like, you know, I, I want to say like self-taught, but like in terms of like understanding like voting and like if I move and making sure I'm registered to vote and like when to vote, like all those things, it's like, I've just learned that as I've gotten older, right? And like, but like Stacey Abrams has done an immense amount of work in just terms of like organizing and also just education about voting rights, voting laws and just the history behind it. And I think, yeah, you're right. She's a nominee for a very, very obvious reason, you know? When I feel like too, that's a lot of the work that we're doing right now at Lit is that like, mm-hmm. especially because the 2020 election was like the first quote unquote big election since Lit was formed. And so it's just like, it's just so incredibly important. I'm, I mean, I'm realizing now that like the longer I work there and the more that I learn about our students and the more that I'm seeing, like learning about their experience as high schoolers and middle schoolers and college students in these like white led schools that have predominantly black and brown students. It's just like, it's so important to start when they're this young. Like it's so important to start having them, showing them the ways that they can be involved and like showing them the ways like they can show up to school board meetings and give testimonies and hold their school board accountable and sign petitions and do things to make their schools safer. And then they can grow up to become leaders that are educating the young and that are continuously educating other adults in how to create a more equitable society. It's just like education, especially around the simplest things. Like so many people I see like just turn on reminders to go register to vote or DMing us, asking us questions. Like, what do I need to go vote? It's just all about like telling people how that they are able to and how they're able to, and that can just make all the difference. Yeah. And it's also just scary to think too that like people's first time voting experience or people's first time even engaging with like what's on my ballot or where do I go like so so much of that is fraught with like all of this voter suppression and all of this like 
oh, if your driver's license is this, or like, you know, all of those just like little things that are so specific to different, you know, states, cities, counties, all of that stuff. It's like, that is, that's, that is, that is voter suppression, right? Like that, and that's, that is deterring people from being engaged in that way. So. Well, and even like outside of just like the racial divide, like now Wisconsin has a rule where you have to have a Wisconsin ID to vote as a Wisconsin voter. And think about like how many of actual like smaller Wisconsin towns are college towns. And now those right. students can't vote in Wisconsin. And it's like, we all know college towns or like college cities are usually more right. liberal. It's just like, right. it's an obvious way to try and sway the election one way or the other. But like, right. if they think that we're not going to try and go fight our way through it, get those kids to either vote in their home state, get them a Wisconsin ID, right. something. like we're going to push through it. But the fact that we have to is incredibly exhausting in its in itself. Right. And then there's more general things like the fact that voting day, particularly for the presidential election, is still not a federal holiday in this country. And a lot of um, a lot of service workers in particular who, you know, don't have who might not have as lenient uh, time off as the corporate world. It's a struggle. And and obviously a lot of service workers are young people and people of color. So it's just another, you know, it seems like it seems like a benign thing, like, oh, like it's it's voting day and the polls are open for 12 hours, but you know, you'd be surprised. Yeah, like that's that's just for for so many people, like that's just not that's not accessible. Like I'm in my position, I've never had to like, you know, I've always, I guess, worked in places that have encouraged, you know, voting and always kind of allowed that. But yeah, no, absolutely. It's I mean, the fact that it isn't a federal holiday is, is seems again, it's like we put so much emphasis on get out and vote. And there's so many like, you know, we talk about it as like the most like treasured thing we can do as a mayor, like whatever. And it's like we don't even recognize it as a the holiday but whatever yeah and i also it kind of it factors into i see this a lot with the media um a little bit in the 2020 election but a lot in the 2016 election where the media was blaming black people for not showing up mm-hmm. in the wake of donald trump's victory they're like why didn't black people show up but it's just it, it seemed a little tone diff to me because of all these factors that we've been talking about you know or for instance like in these areas of extreme voter suppression where there's three ballot uh, machines for communities of color or something like that. You know, right. a lot of people I'm sure show up, they can't wait in line for three hours as much as they might want to. Oh. They might not be able to wait in line for three hours. They might be, they might have uh, an ability issue or they might have to go to work. You know, maybe they right. only get two hours off. So th- that shit is just really annoying. Like a, a sort of like blaming BIPOC folks for, not showing up but it's like it's not that simple no and it's I mean again it's it's systemic it's policy it's like there are people that are actively you know our elected officials are actively working to make sure that someone like me doesn't doesn't vote right and that that my vote doesn't count and it's like they they are they are writing laws that are continuing to exclude you know um black people and 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 people um that are not white. And so it's, um, it's all, I mean, it's all systemic. It is all systemic. And then you have Aunt Karen on Facebook writing about how her vote isn't going to count because of all the mail-in ballots and blah, blah, blah. It's like, sis, your vote is like the first one that's going to get counted no matter how you send it in. Please relax. Right. Why do people want to be oppressed right. so bad? I just So bad. <laughs> um, 
Yes. Well, yes. But anyway, uh, is there anything else we you want to touch on before we uh, get to the remedies? Remedying no, exhaustion. Let's talk about the remedies. Okay. The let's. remedies. Yeah. So I I feel like I said kind of earlier, like one thing that I'm especially like after just like the last couple of weeks, like just I'm trying to like um just be intentional about when I disengage from uh like social media or like whatever that is. Um and also just making sure that when I am engaging in social media that like my social media is reflective of you know, my life, my experiences that it's like infused with like positive, like just good, just good things. Right. Cause I also think there was a point in summer where I was like, just, I was like, I like had to just do a cleanse of just like, why am I following this account? Why do I still like this? Like things like that. So like, that's just been one thing that I really have been trying to like, just really be more intentional about. Um, and also, um, I mean, I think we all know this, like I love to cook. So I cook a lot and I actually just moved into this apartment and I have like this lovely kitchen and a big old sink and all that fun stuff so I'm having fun like just cooking in a different space and in a different kitchen um but I like I always talk about just like the importance of um of like making something with my hands and like for me like that's food like cooking um and I think that like whenever I'm in the kitchen it's just like the one space that I can completely zone out and I can be creative and I can like make whatever I want and like I'll listen to a podcast or listen to music and I'll just I'll just cook and I've just always loved to cook and it's just kind of been especially in 2020 in quarantine like it was just I've had I had so much time I am trying to work on some sort of like ebook cookbook cookbook thing that I can share (laughs) I know I'm like I guess since I'm saying this on a podcast I should like yeah but like I, I really have been trying to work on it and just really trying to figure out yeah, I've always just kept in the back of my mind. I'm like, it would be so much easier if I just was really diligent about keeping keeping up with these recipes, organizing them somehow, and just making them like easily accessible to my friends. Cause like, I really do just want to share it. Um, and a lot of it is just like, again, stuff that I just like make up or do my own spin on or like whatever. So just being honest with myself about when I choose to engage with certain topics, how I choose to engage and just like making sure that like I'm doing everything I can to like sustain myself to be like the best person I can be when I do show up, right? Or like when I do engage. So <laughs> I thought I thought Ely was gonna say something. <laughs> no, sorry. I just like chugged a bunch of water and now I'm like oh. back up. <laughs> well <laughs> I love how Leah proceeds to open her gallon of oh water my bottle. God. The thing is fucking yeah, this is this is hydration this is hydration <laughs> this listen for those that are listening get you this is i think it, this is a half gallon is this a half gallon or is this a gallon i think this is a gallon i try and drink one a day i really do i do i try to drink <laughs> Wait, one a day it, it has the markers I'm obviously behind because right now i'm at like four o'clock and it's really like you know almost nine but um yeah i'll finish this before the end of the night and then i'll wake up at 2 a.m and have to go pee um, and then I'll fill it up again in the morning. So, oh my God, I'm literally crying. <laughs> I think we just pulled it out like a... <laughs> it's hydration. I just, I have to, and before I was on the floor and I was like, that feels weird. Um, <laughs> hydration, oh stay I'm... hydrated. Honestly, yeah, this is your <laughs> daily reminder to <laughs> drink some water. <laughs> drink water, um... don't be racist. Like, <laughs> 
<laughs> that needs to be a what sticker. Is- That's going to be the opener of this episode. <laughs> don't be racist. Don't be racist. <laughs> yeah. It, this is, this is really has, it's been a, it, I don't want to say like a game changer for me, but just in terms of just like realizing how much water I should be drinking, you know, like this has, this has kind of put it into perspective. Cause like, even if I don't finish all of this in one day, I still feel like I've drinking a lot of water because I have. But yeah, it's, and it's literally, it's called Bottle Joy. And I love the word joy. I have joy tattooed on my wrist. So like, it just, it all feels like me. <laughs> I love that. It- <laughs> <laughs> it's good stuff. It's good stuff. <laughs> it's just so big. And I was just not <laughs> expecting you to pull that out. <laughs> it is ridiculous. And I, I mean, it used to feel so cumbersome, but now I'm just like, oh, just, and it has this handy little, like, little <laughs> strap. Chain thingy, so strap, yeah. Okay, low key, if it was full, that could be a weapon. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. We also, love I live things. alone, like, I just, yeah. just, like, you know, stay away, you know. So. We love things that are multifunctional, and yes. one of those functions does serve as a weapon. Right, right. <laughs> When we yeah. take our uh, when we take our promo screenshot, please hold up oh, that sure. water oh, honey, bottle. And I it. already <laughs> took a couple of photos for us. Well, we need well, we need to take a screenshot like you did, like we've done with our past guests. Oh yeah, I was gonna ask because I was like, yeah, before I was like, wait, is there gonna be like, yeah? So I just wanted to make sure. Yes, I was, like, we will take a screenshot. Aware. I did make sure okay. to capture a picture of you gleefully explaining. <laughs> Like, oh, you can't. Do that. <laughs> Can we just talk about our <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yes. This has been, I mean, listen. And like it says, like, it's like ready, go. Go for it. Believe in yourself. Shoot for success. Don't give up. Almost there. You made it. Like it encourages oh you. Like it really, it has built in language to encourage you to drink this water. So like clearly I gave up around 3 p.m. even so even though it says don't give up. But like I'm almost almost there, you know, it's fine. And it's like 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. I don't, if I am up at 7 a.m., I'm probably not drinking water. I really don't start, I feel like drinking until almost like nine. But like, you know, it all, it all works out. I think you are supposed to be consuming most of your water, like I guess between a certain amount of time, but yeah, stay hydrated. Wow. Well, that was absolutely beautiful. Black joy, everyone. Black bottled joy. That's <laughs> black bottled joy. I'm gonna write black right before bottled. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I guess that's also how I have been remedying <laughs> the institution of racism by saying hydrated. So that's amazing. That's wonderful. <laughs> what a positive Ely. note. Ely, how do you remedy I th- watching Marvel movies? I mean, yes, but I'm <laughs> how do you no? How do you how do you remedy? So. Um. Okay. So as far as like remedying from racism and whiteness, I will say it's been tremendously helpful to just like spend most of my day, even though I'm not like in a physical space with other black and brown people. The fact that I work with predominantly black and brown people is just it's like a, a, a sigh. Like I can, I can breathe. I can, it's such a relief. Cause it's like a lot of the things that we do 
we don't even like realize like the things that we do to either just like whitewash our personalities to make our colleagues feel more comfortable or like whatever. It's just like, you don't even realize that you're doing it sometimes. And so just like not having to do those things, it's just so nice. But, and it's funny, I told Zach uh, earlier this week that like a lot of my colleagues have like explicitly stated that they purposely don't surround themselves with white people for specific reasons. And honestly, I don't blame them. I mean, I'm not, I mean, a lot of my friends are white because like, that's just like the places I've been put in. However, just like taking myself away from white spaces also just feels so much better. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, I have been trying to be more intentional about like consuming um, black media. I mean, obviously I'm not perfect and the world is also not perfect, but I mean, I've been trying to read more black fiction. Um, my boss is a bookstagrammer and she did this one, uh, challenge online where she was like, take a picture with books that like with all the black fiction that you've read. And she had this huge stack and I was like thinking about it. And I'm like, have I actually read anything? Like I've definitely, read fiction written by brown people but it's like have I read fiction that was like intentionally black I don't think so so now I'm like really trying to consume black fiction um I'm reading hood feminism right now I have it actually right here Mm -hmm. it's very good has oh have you read this I haven't okay so (laughs) I started reading it and then um I it's I started it's my sister's book so I haven't like finished it I read maybe like the first like 100 pages okay um, yeah that's like like about where I'm at right now as well and it's just like opening my mind to like the little things that I was taught like as a kid that I thought was like normal or fine and it's like no this is all anti-blackness it's crazy right um so yeah that's good I'm reading Toni Morrison also so I'm just mm. trying to live in my blackness because I feel like I didn't get to do that as a kid and as a teenager or even as a college student, really. So now that I'm an adult, what? I'm like, Marquette? what? <laughs> I was just going to say at Marquette, I'm shocked. <laughs> yeah. So I'm really trying to just revel in it now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got to reclaim it. Yeah. No, I, that's, yeah, there are, yeah, there are totally ways, like, that I've just had to, like, unpack, like, anti-Blackness within myself, like, white, you know, like, I've always, like, always doing that work, which is why I think, like, reading is so helpful um, in terms of just, like, having, like, reading something where um, you're able to see um, a certain, like, experience reflected and, like, commented on in a different way, you know, like, and I'm just, like, yeah, like, like, yeah, a, a lot of these, a lot of these things are, again, like, systemic, and, like, our part, like, for at least for me, like, my part of, like, the work, and, like, moving forward is, you know, un- unearthing some of those, like, systems that are harmful within myself, because, like, I know that I've, with that, I've harmed other people, and that I've been harmed, and, like, I need to, like, unearth that, so, y'all, this has been so great. I don't even know, like, I don't know if we're, like, no, I'm, done, I'm but, glad like, we ended on a positive so... note, because we, we struggle with that sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's why I was like when I like went back into the doc I was like a lot of this is really heavy I was like maybe I'll just end on like how I like you know yeah some some positive stuff no it's been it's been wonderful you've been yes oh no 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 sorry go ahead oh yeah you've been a 
wonderful guest of course yes, thank you for coming much. and having this conversation with us thank you for talking about your new position we're very excited and happy for you yes. and the organization thanks i'll well listen we're live tomorrow at 10 a.m eastern 9 a.m central we're on socials follow us oh shit we're, i have a whack-ass be- meeting at 10 a.m <laughs> it's okay like well uh yeah no it'll be yeah it'll be live but no i mean um yeah, I mean, we're hoping, you know, we're hoping it gets far and wide. We're going out with a couple of exclusives. And um, obviously, by the time this is out, it'll be out there. But yeah, I'm excited. I'm, um, again, like just what a difference a year makes. Even less yeah. than a year, but like for sure a year. Just honestly. Crazy. It is crazy, crazy, crazy. to think about. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, um we do have to end with i guess what's become our signature sign off you're like <laughs> surprised about it every single time <laughs> i just think okay one it's like I just, bro this is it this is i how just we think are. it's so dumb because when i think about it i'm like this originated from like a guy i went on two dates with and we're using it as our <laughs> podcast sign off and like how did we get here where do we go <laughs> i was like this is so <laughs> it's funny dude <laughs> like leah if somebody like doesn't text you back is your immediate response to just like angrily text them have a good night with no capital letters all lowercase like period like what are you no 12? <laughs> no. no so it's just so funny to me like the blatant just like I don't yeah. even know what to call it. It's like it's abrupt. <laughs> it's very it's abrupt. Real abrupt. It's a yeah. little entitled. Like I don't owe you anything. So <laughs> it's like, yeah, have a good night. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, well, we'll say it, but Leah, stay on after we stop recording so we can still okay. talk to you. Um, but yes, have a good night, everyone. Next week, I think we're talking about the fashion industry. Yeah. Yeah. So stay tuned. It's going to be probably not as great as this episode, but still entertaining. So tune in. Because this episode (laughs) has been wonderful. I'm trying to give props to our guests. Riveting. It's called a compliment, Ely. It was an interesting compliment. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, have a good night. Have a good night. Bye. 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 Bye.